0: So this past Sunday was a pretty rough night in terms of American history and in terms of our own city history. Last Sunday night, we had a shooting in Las Vegas that amounted to the deadliest shooting in all of American history. Over 500 people were injured, and last count, 59 people had passed away. Also, right here that same night in the same town, another tragedy hit. The first officer, first Lafayette police officer that we have, was killed the past 50 years. This is one of those problems that people can see, sometimes look at, at these awful tragedies and say things like, "Why?" What kind of God would allow something like this to happen? Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he do something?" And these are questions that we may have asked. Or, more than likely, we've seen other people ask. And that's a common question I honestly see in Americans today, because I believe it reflects the sickness of our culture, the sickness of our time. My friends, we live in a time of incredible wealth and luxury. We are like the tenants in this parable right here. Many of us, at least. Maybe not, maybe not those of us in this church, but many of us around. And believe that we have reaped a beautiful, bountiful harvest, full of luxury, full of wealth, full of goodness. We believe that we can manage it ourselves, that we can take care of it better than the Lord can. We begin to think thoughts of disgust about the Lord like the tenants here in this parable. We begin to think that God is not to be trusted, that God was very wrong not to intervene like last night. And we can begin to think that every prophet that the Lord sent should be either either killed or ignored. That seems to be the case often with us and many Western secular society. We believe that God has to prove himself to us. And that's an observation that Pope Benedict XVI made. He says that in modern day culture, God must justify himself to us. God has to convince us of the reason to believe. God has to convince us of a reason to be Christian. But before, up until the 1600s, that was never, ever really the case. The real case, the reality, is that God doesn't need to be convincing us of anything, but rather that we need to convince God of our justification, that we need to convince God that we can see eye to eye with him. That we are capable and and able to and faithful enough to tend to this vineyard. But if we're honest, that doesn't really answer the question why. Why did over 500 people get injured in Las Vegas that Sunday night? Why was a police officer the first time killed in Lafayette that Sunday night? Why is evil even present if we do have a God who who does love us? And I think there's three things we always need to remember whenever we contemplate the problem of evil. If we do it from a humble stance, not from an arrogant stance, not from the stance of tenants believing that God has to prove himself to us, but a stance that we enlist, in, which we are, in which we genuinely want to understand the divine heart, genuinely want to understand what Jesus wants of us, genuinely want to understand what is going on. And the first thing that we need to remember is evil is an incomprehensible problem. It's a mystery that can never, ever fully be solved. It's something that we can never, ever wrap our heads around. Evil and the way God uses evil is kind of like a quilt. From a little child's standpoint, watching a mother knit a quilt, it looks messy. It looks confusing. It looks looks mind-boggling. And that's with anything being made. It's not just like a quilt, but it's like go to a construction site while it's still in work. Chances are it's going to be absolutely filthy, full of mess and trash and whatever. It's not until the end times and not until that quilt is finished will we ever fully see how God used that evil to knit the kingdom of God that we have at hand. But there's a second point, a point that I find actually a little bit more satisfying than that first point. My friends, whenever God created, this is the second point, whenever God created heaven, earth, and everything in between, what God did was something unforeseen. God renounced himself. This was the reason that whenever that a German philosopher came up with, his name was Hans Jonas. And he was a Jew trying to figure out why did Auschwitz happen? And that's what he discovered. Was that God in creating the world had limited himself in a way that was never foreseen. And what do I mean whenever I say that? What do I mean whenever, God, whenever I say God renounced himself? And this is what I mean. That ain't God. That tile ain't God. I'm not God. The statues here, not God. Nothing here in matter, with the exception of the Eucharist, is God. That is a limitation. That is a supreme limitation. That means that God has chosen to withdraw himself to some degree from our day-to-day life so that his children might live and govern themselves. That's what parents do, guys. Parents grow their children so they might live independent of them. They might become healthy. They might become happy. And that they might become able to thrive and prosper outside of them. And so they can love them. Live and prosper outside of them so, then, so that then their children can love them. That's why we're here. God created us with a free will. An option to either love him or not. Rocks don't have that option. Stones don't have that option. Wood doesn't have that option. Only human beings and divine beings, angels and demons, have the option to choose to love or not to love the Lord. And that shows that God has made a decision from the beginning, whenever he created heaven and earth, to limit himself. Meaning? That from the outset, God is a God who suffers. God is a God who suffers. He knows what it means whenever we experience the pain of evil. And in fact, dare I say, God is the first one to experience the pain of evil. All the incarnation was, the death of of his son on the cross was a manifestation of what he has been going through ever since Lucifer first left heaven, ever since Adam ate that, took a bite of that first apple, ever since that first sin, God has been grieved to the heart, Genesis chapter 5. Whenever God saw that all of creation was rebelling against him, it grieved him to his heart. And he set himself up for that because he chose to make beings who are free to love him. To love him. And what's so beautiful about that, and that's, this is the third point, is that even whenever we don't, even whenever we do unrighteously, unjustifiably inflict pain upon our God, Like what happened on Sunday night, the Lord still looks upon us with mercy. In the words of Robert Cardinal Seurat, divine mercy
1: burns
0: human violence like divine mercy burned the human violence on the cross. Whenever Jesus Christ, after he had been crucified, was raised up between heaven and earth, looked upon his persecutors, looked upon those who put him there and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's our God, my friends. A God who knows the pain of suffering, who suffers first whenever we commit evil and whenever anybody else commits evil. He knows that pain and he knew what he was getting into whenever he created us. And yet for all the pain that we inflict upon him here on this earth, he is always willing and ready to forgive you and I for ever hurting him uttering those beautiful, precious words that he says from the cross. Forgive them, for they know not what they do.